I think there's a resistance to the virtue of justice. It can sound like a harsh word because it has to do with, yes, duty and obligation. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to frame or characterize obligation in a negative way in that it creates obstacles. But I would propose that with a proper anthropology, when we see the vision of the human person as communal, that highest community being our participation in the community of the Trinity and that communal life being poured out for others, obligation, instead of being an obstacle to our life, rather is the very foundation of relationship with others. Welcome to Le Bon V, the John Paul the Great Academy podcast, where we explore the intersection of our classical Catholic and Louisiana cultures that we live out every day. I'm Deacon Adam Conk, and co-hosting here, as always, Sir Kyle Alvarado. Hello, Mr. Alvarado. How are you? Hello, Deacon Conk. And you can call me Laird Alvarado. Laird? Yeah. Um, back in the day, someone got me a gift of some scotch that came with a parcel of land in Scotland. So technically, I'm, I'm one of those people. The Lord, but like pronounced Laird? Is that Laird. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know this. Well, congratulations. I, I can't look at you the same now. You're a Laird. Yeah, treat me justly and accordingly. <laughs> Great segue into the topic today, Mr. Abrado, which is justice. Um, so we're going to continue our series that we started on we talked about the intellectual virtues and then we got into the moral virtues. So if you didn't catch the podcast on prudence, please go back and listen to it. Um, but today we're, we're moving on to justice, right? We're moving on to justice. And I thought to give proper justice to the topic that it would be good to... This show is going to be a pun a minute. Just prepare yourself. Go for it. Be prepared. <laughs> um, before we, we start diving more deeply into the other moral virtues, I, I think it's important to say that the moral virtues are not equal. They are not on the same level as far as how to apply them and how they connect to the nature of man. And so Joseph Pieper has a great description of the hierarchy of the virtues, both the theological and the cardinal. And so I was hoping to read a brief passage from his book, The Christian Idea of Man. And if someone is looking for a an introduction to virtues, the thought of St. Thomas Aquinas, and how to live the virtues, this is just a great book for doing that. It's a very short, concise work where he kind of summarizes what he does in his two other major works on the theological virtues and his other work on the cardinal virtues. Awesome. So to kind of preface the passage, St. Thomas Aquinas, by the Catechism of the Catholic Church and even by canon law, is looked to as a particular leader in how we teach the virtues and understand the virtues. So his his presentation of the virtues and theological explanations um, are... The Church encourages us to look to him. So this summary of his teaching is extremely helpful. So... Hit us with it, Mr. Alvarado. And I guess one more prudent preface <laughs> that uh, it's important to say St. Thomas Aquinas in his approach to moral theology is largely different from what might be encountered by many people today as Catholic moral theology, mm -hmm. because his moral theology, it first starts with the vision of God um, in Prima Pars and the Summa. It, it's first about how God has revealed himself. And then the second turn from that in in um, in his treatise on or his work on moral theology, it's what is the image of God that God's revelation or the image of man, excuse me, 
that God's revelation gives. And so morality is first and foremost a vision of the human person, a vision of the excellent human person. And so this hierarchy of virtues we're about to hear from Joseph Pieper, rather he's just summarizing St. Thomas Aquinas's vision of the human person. All right, so he writes, Thomas Aquinas, the great master of Western Christendom, decided to express the Christian idea of man in seven theses. First, the Christian is a person who, in his faith, is aware of the reality of the Trinity. Second, the Christian looks forward in hope to the ultimate fulfillment of his being in eternal life. Third, the Christian with the theological virtue of love turns to God and his fellow man, affirming them with a love that is far stronger than any natural love. Fourth, and side note, this is where the cardinal virtues begin. Fourth, the Christian is prudent. That is, he does not let his view of reality be clouded by what the will dictates without reference to the truth about the real situation. Fifth, the Christian is just. That is, he is able to live in truth with the other. He sees that he is one member among other members of the church, of the population, and of the all-embracing community. Sixth, the Christian is brave. That is, he is prepared to be harmed, and even to accept death if necessary, for truth and for the realization of justice. Seventh, the Christian is moderate. That is, he does not allow his desire for possessions and enjoyment to become destructive and repugnant to his being. Love it. Love it. And I, I think it's fitting that we start our conversation with justice about this because hierarchy implies that the things that rank higher are owed more attention, more mm -hmm. devotion, um, and that we, pay, we are attentive to the relationship between these things that are not equal and so when we talk about growing in virtue, you know, charity is third logically, but it's highest in grandeur and in glory, like St. Paul tells us, right? There's faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is charity. But you can't get to true Christian charity without faith first, believing, right, and hope, right. hoping, and then that leads us to this charity. Um, but the moral virtues are often presented in a descending hierarchy, right? So that the one we give first is the greatest, and then it works down, right? Right, right. Because in in the efforts to become more prudent, we uncover that we're social animals. We're communal animals. That the greatest good before me can only be realized in justice. And so the prudent man then seeks to become more just. But by becoming more just... To, to truly give to others what we owe them, we have to exercise courage. We have to be willing to put ourselves in danger in order to be just. And so justice naturally leads to fortitude or courage. But the courageous man, in seeking to pursue the common good in harmony with his individual good before God, is going to find that he is resistant to that good because of temporal attachments to the world. And so the courageous man seeks temperance. Maybe a, an icon of this is me at Halloween time. So as, as you do, I have some children in my home. <clears throat> and oftentimes around that time, there's candy abounding. And there's a situation of a pile of candy and many kids, right? So... With this situation, I have to be prudent. I have to be the one to order this. Mm -hmm. In that ordering, my first thought is, <clears throat> who is owed what? Right? So right. what are you owed? What are you owed? What are you owed? And I have to have enough bravery to tell someone who wants more that they're not going to have it. And I have, enough, have to have enough temperance that I'm not going to eat all the candy myself. Yeah. <laughs> you got to keep the dad tax to a minimum. The dad tax has to be minimum. I can't. You know, I can't not give someone what they're owed because I want the candy. So that's just a little image of, of this, this hierarchy of virtues in action. That's a great image. 
and I think something a lot of us can relate to, trying to render justice with other people is so difficult because it's going to confront us with different conceptions of justice. Um, kids, my kids at least often say, oh, that's not fair. Mm -hmm. That's not fair. And for better or for worse, I try to remind them two things, sweetheart. Number one, you don't know what justice is. You're not a good judge of what's fair and what's not. And two, who told you the world was fair? Mm -hmm. You need to let go of that belief. It's not. Love it. All right, it's LeBon V. Deacon Adam Conk, Mr. Kyle Alvarado. We're talking about justice. And, um, you know, as we're talking, it just reminds me of how justice is an important answer to the prudent question. As we talked about prudence a few uh, episodes ago, you know, the question is, okay, so how do I be prudent? Well, maybe the first good answer of where to start is be just, right? Like if I'm going to order my home, because we, you know, a lot of parents after the last podcast have come to me and say, okay, I'm, I'm in it. Like I'd like to reorder my home. Where do I begin? So let's start with justice in that order and asking the questions, who's owed what in my home? Yeah, yeah. That's a great first place to start. And it, it reinforces this notion that with the cardinal virtues, there is this kind of hierarchy, this dependence. And as we said about prudence, it starts with contemplation. It starts with spending time with God. Mm -hmm. in that God is owed that time. And this is something that the classical Catholic home is going to have to admit. There's no way around this. Like, we cannot be the kind of home we're all signed up to be at John Paul the Great Academy if God doesn't get his due first. Right. And that is called the virtue of religion, which I was hoping to get to later, but, <laughs> but now's a prudent time to get to it. The virtue of religion is justice applied to God. And here's the thing. What do we owe God? Well, you owe something to someone else when you incur a debt. And where does our debt with God come from? It comes from our very existence. And on top of our existence, that God has blessed that existence, that God has redeemed that existence, mm -hmm. that God has entered the world through the incarnate Son and made that manifest through his Holy Spirit. That's a lot of debt. That's an overwhelming amount of goodness that has been given to us that we don't deserve, that we need to pay back. And so in the virtue of religion, when you give to God what's God's, well, what is God's? Everything. Everything, which is the blessing of Holy Mass, right? That the Lord Jesus in his incarnation has given us a way to worship in spirit and truth. And by participation and attending the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, we pay back to God our very selves. You know, it's the perfect way to do it from an imperfect creature because we do it in Jesus Christ, right? Like we as imperfect beings can pay this debt by the blood of his son, and it's a beautiful thing that God has allowed us to achieve justice or justification or sanctification to be right with God comes through Jesus Christ, particularly our experience of it in the mass, but also the whole sacramental economy. So in our homes, we have to have the sacramental economy ordered well. It has to be just. We owe God adoration. We owe God um, uh, gratitude. worship, gratitude. We owe God repentance. We owe God um, a lot of things in our home. So how are we ordering that? And are we giving God what's due to him? Yeah. And that raises the question we raised in the episode on prudence. I believe this, mm -hmm. but, but how? How to live it out? And this gives me a great chance to bring up something I, I want more Catholics to be aware of. When we think of, you know, what is the most important moment in the Mass? The most important moment is when the priest raises the consecrated host and the consecrated wine, which is now the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ, and offers it to the Father. Yeah. And for us, you know, if being attentive to the Eucharistic prayer, um, the priest is not just offering the Eucharist to the Father, we have bound ourselves through the Eucharistic prayer through, well, through the whole flow of the liturgy, we have bound ourselves to make 
our very being part of what is offered to the Father for just worship. Yeah, and how does that, the moment of consecration culminating in that moment of the, the elevation of the, of the species to the Father, how does it begin with the words, it is right and just? Mm. Right? It yeah. is right and just. And so this the reason why the Eucharist is the source and summit of our faith, and in particular the holy sacrifice of the Mass that is the sacrament of the Eucharist, is the source and summit, is because it fulfills justice. Right? It reconciles us to the Father by the blood of Jesus Christ. So obviously going to Mass and how your family is going to go to Mass is an important part of justice in your home. On the school campus, you know, we... We owe that debt as well, and so we fulfill it with our beautiful weekly liturgies at John Paul the Great Academy that we want to make even more beautiful, more just, more right, more fitting. Um, and it's beautiful that we have so many more students than we used to. Now we have two Masses a week to try to accommodate that, um, and, and this year we're doing a Mass a month. So, you know, Mass, obviously an important part of our school, important part of our homes, but that, that Source and Summit needs to be, uh, there needs to be ripples of that into other aspects of what we owe God in our homes. And I don't know about you, Mr. Alvarado, but to me, daily examinations is part of that justice that is often difficult to fulfill, but we skip that step of what we owe to God, right? So if, if yeah. all I did in my day was go to Mass and do an examination, I, I have given to God at least the bare minimum of what He owes. But if I don't do that examination at least most days, then I'm missing something I owe to God which is the, the, the opportunity for his grace that I receive at Mass to actually change my life. Because I will not change or convert if I'm not examining myself, right? Right. Well, as we talked about with prudence, it's, it's not enough to make a resolution about the, the best good before you and the best means of achieving it. Uh, prudence also involves memory and recognizing God at work in that plan. And yeah, the examination... This, this might get us a little off topic, but I, I don't know how well we, we promote and support that, that essential component of the spiritual life of, of the examined prayer at night. And if we're going to be just to God and to ourselves in that examined prayer, it, I talk about this in episode one of my Festina Lente podcast. Mm -hmm. Festina Lente, make haste slowly. And when you apply Festina Lente to the examined prayer, make haste to recognize your sin, but slowly in the context of God's mercy. And so the examined prayer, yes, it's going to include looking at the sin that, that we committed that day. But in the context of hope and mercy, slowly allow God to reveal to us, why? Why did I sin? Lord, free me from that attachment. But the examined prayer also has to include, how was I a blessing to others today? Because that is mm -hmm. part of God's magnanimous plan for me. And be quick to recognize or make haste to recognize um, those good choices that were just for others. But slowly give God the credit because it's grace at work. And so that examined prayer has to include gratitude, recognition, and reconciliation. Love it. And I guess the last thing I would I would would be remiss if we didn't bring up is we do owe God devotion. So the devotional life of our families and of the school is not just secondary or helpful, but it's a matter of justice. So for example, we're we're named John Paul the Great Academy. So God in his providence has connected us to this great saint, and as a matter of justice, we owe him devotion. Our lady has been made queen of the universe, and as a matter of justice, I owe her devotion. Um Saints have become meaningful to us by their interaction with us in our life, by being part of God blessing us in our life. We owe them our devotion. And so devotion is not simply a helpful spiritual program, but really a matter of justice as well, part of that virtue of religion. Right, right. Just worship. Not not in the sense of merely worship, but justice in worship. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I told you, pun a minute on this show. Pun a minute. <laughs> well, one of those classical ideas, uh, virtue ethics, that grace is going to perfect your nature. When we apply that to worship, we see we become like the thing we worship. That's the nature of worship. And so in justice to the gift of our humanity, 
we ought to worship something higher than ourselves because we become like the thing we worship. And we can see the destructive way that worship can happen when we worship something below us. You know, mm-hmm. the, one, the one who worships money becomes like money, which is only valuable in its superficial means of exchange. Mm-hmm. You know, money is only good in as much as how it can be used. Mm-hmm. And people who worship money, how do they view others? How do they view themselves? Objects for use, objects for consumption. Yeah. Well, if you're just joining us or if you've been along for the the whole ride of all these episodes, we're glad you're here at Le Bon V. Deacon Adam Conk, Mr. Kyle Alvarado, we're talking about justice today. And to kind of recap this justice towards God as, as we've kind of summarized. So there's the sacramental life of our home and our school that we owe first. And then, then there's this idea of commitment to a, a life of conversion and examination daily. And then this devotional life that should be part of our homes, our, our saints that have been meaningful to our family. Um, it's part of our school. You know, the, the statues, the pictures, also the prayers that we say should all match. It's a matter of justice. But let's pivot Miss Alvarado to, uh, to now to others. So we're talking about justice before God, and maybe that helps inform how we see justice toward those who live in our home or at our school with us. That's a good turn. Um, I think let's come to terms first. Uh, justice. What is the virtue of justice? We we've saw from Peeper this summary of Saint Thomas's thinking about justice, which is living the truth with the other. But I wonder if we can translate that into a more applicable definition. Yeah, I mean, I think what makes sense to me and helps me live out justice in real time is that. Justice is the disposition and tendency toward giving what is due to others so that I would desire my will is set on those who are due things that they get those things. Um, so duty is a way to summarize it, but it's this fact that, as we talked about earlier, there's a debt to be paid to someone. A just person has in their will a fixed, stable a choice that that ought to happen and I ought to give myself to it happening. That's a great way to frame it in terms of how to put justice into practice. I think there's a resistance to the virtue of justice. It can sound like a harsh word because it has to do with, yes, duty and obligation. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to frame or characterize obligation in a negative way in that it creates obstacles. But I would propose that with a proper anthropology, when we see the vision of the human person as communal, that highest community being our participation in the community of the Trinity, and that communal life being poured out for others, obligation, instead of being an obstacle to our life, rather is the very foundation of relationship with others. And that's so important. Uh, Any happily married couple has discovered that, even if by accident, that the obligations of marriage, the duties of marriage, go along with the relationship. And the idea of religion and relationship and relagio, like to be connected again or bound again, which is relationship, it is duty that binds us, obligation that binds us, things that I owe you because we're married. But that doesn't become an obstacle to our happy marriage. It, in fact, it's the foundation of it and allows for the stability of our children and those in our community to experience the fruits of our marriage. And so it is with justice to everyone. You know, if I owe anyone anything or you owe any, anyone anything, it's not an imposition on me. It's not a burden on me, but it's a foundation for me to love that person through fulfilling my duty to them. It's the, it's the boundaries of freedom. And that can seem like a contradiction, freedom having boundaries, but rather kind of like a child, whenever you have a fenced in backyard, even if there's dangerous elements outside of the fence, showing them the fence gives them the freedom to play, mm-hmm. to enjoy. And you want a recipe for happiness 
first word of caution, pursuing happiness is the one way to destroy it. Um, <laughs> happiness is kind of the byproduct of being rightly ordered. But if you do want happiness, one of the surefire ways to find it is injustice, is in becoming more attentive to what do I owe others, but also injustice, what do others owe me? Yes. And so having right boundaries within yourself, too, that that as um, Jordan Peterson says, treat yourself like someone you love. And that that's a, I think, a, an accessible way that he's found to communicate uh, the great commandment and the mm -hmm. penultimate commandment to love God above all things and to love neighbor as self. Now, that's a great point you're making because true justice is not directed towards me. It's directed toward righteousness itself. Right. I, mm. When Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, it's not that all my debts will be paid to me. It's that all debts would be paid. Like all of them, right? Right. It's a passion for a universal justice. It must be, or it's not real justice. Just like every virtue, charity is only real charity if it's a love of God in all. And if I exclude anyone from my charity, then it's not real charity. Same thing with justice. If if I can live in a world and be okay with it that there's injustice anywhere, that's not real justice. Um, right. The just man is not the one who lets everyone walk all over them. Yes. Yes. I love that. Well, and look, there's there's a list of things we owe each other. If we have parents in our life, we owe them a lot of things. If we mm -hmm. have friends in our life, we owe them a lot of things. But for the purpose of being a Christian school and a Christian home, the benefit of being Christian is that Christ himself, through the mouth of St. Paul, has summarized our debt and how to pay it as Christians, which is awesome news. But he says, owe nothing to anyone except the bond, the duty of charity. Mm. Now that is not getting off easy. No, it's not. It's just a clarity of when we show up to school every day and when we show up at home every day, where is our focus on what I owe you? It helps clarify that debt that I have to a fellow Christian. And I think it it's also a great source of, of consolation that if we try to pursue each virtue separately, and we're trying to accumulate virtue points, so to speak, mm -hmm. in each area, <laughs> it's gonna, it's not going to work well. But if we have our pursuit of virtue, the moral virtues, in light of faith, hope, and charity, then we believe that God desires us to be rightly ordered to one thing. And we trust with hope that my radical complete gift of self to the one thing will accomplish the work of justice. That all these virtues will become rightly ordered as I simply seek to worship, to worship God with righteousness, which is the highest form of worship when you're able to worship God through a devoted and dedicated life. I love that insight because um, it takes faith and hope to even believe that charity will, will get this done. And I mean, practically speaking, I mean, charity is a is a friendship formed in grace, right? Mm. So it's not all friendship, but it's what, what we mean by this virtue of charity is that in grace, participating in the life of the Trinity, I love with God's love, which is a love of friendship. I love the way God loves other people. Charity will be self-sacrificial. I mean, if you want to see what charity is like, go to Paul's first letter to the Corinthians chapter 13, right, where he describes charity. We're all familiar with this. Love is patient. Love is kind. So it's not like charity is easy at all. Right. But it's a focus, and it's it, it gives us hope. Um, so as you seek justice in your home, as you seek justice in the world, as you seek justice at our school, the thing we ought to be seeking is greater charity because that clarifies what justice is. Right, right, yes. I, I like to think to myself often whenever I'm confronted with fear as a result of the, the difficulty of pursuing justice, especially when I know that it's going to upset someone else. Mm -hmm. um, I like to remind myself that charity is clarity. Charity is clarity. I love that. And but okay, so very concretely, like in that circumstance, let's say you have a student or your child 
or something. And you know this is a difficult moment to be just. Well, charity is an imitation of Christ himself, who on the cross responds with justice to the Father in gratitude to give his life back to the Father. The life that the Father gives to him, he gives back in justice for the salvation of others. So the act on the cross is an act of justice for the good and for the grace to be given to all. We imitate this with charity, where in that moment, I say, the Lord is calling me to say or do such and such. I, in justice, owe it to God to do that. So charity has within it this just element towards God, where I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to say what God wants me to say for the good of those involved, for the good of all in the situation. And that is sufficient to inspire bravery and courage and all that, you know, that motivation of charity has within it all that we need to fulfill justice. What strikes me about what you just said is, is how Catholic it is, how universal, receiving a fullness and then offering that fullness to all. And it could mm-hmm. seem daunting. It could seem daunting. But I want to I want to call our listeners attention back to the trust we can have in simplicity, you know, simply serve the one thing needed. The virtue of religion, give to God what is God's and all these other things are going to fall in place. But one of the big obstacles to justice that that can plague our homes is whenever our justice is disconnected from prudence, especially with regard to discipline, that instead of being prudent, acting promptly for correction, or even acting promptly to to encourage great behavior. We let ourselves get to a tipping point Mm -hmm. where we keenly feel the injustice of our children and we lash out, out of hurt, right? Mm -hmm. But instead, imagine this, this culmination of prudence and justice whereby... I immediately correct my child, not because I want them to do what I want them to do, or not because they're upsetting me, but rather this is the greatest expression of love for them because it is prudent to give prompt discipline. Well, and and if if our discipline changes every five minutes, how we're going to do it, (laughs) that's a lack of prudence. Right. Well, and it's unjust too. It's It's unjust. unjust. But if our discipline has been set in our mind and we we know what we ought to do, we just never do it. It's a lack of justice or temperance or but but this idea that you know where do we start? Well, okay, so if if I'm changing what I do every five minutes and how we order our things, this creates chaos for our kids, and the school is the same way, right? So right. So we owe it to these children out of justice to be more prudent, and so that's the focus. I need to talk to folks. How do you order this? Like, what what are good ways? I need to I need to learn. I need to study. I need to let my intellect be informed to order things better. But if I think you know I've sufficiently heard enough, or like it's the order is good. The issue is I'm not fulfilling it rightly. I'm not giving what is due to these children. I'm not being prompt, and that's mm. the promptness, right? Like I'm not sticking to it. Right. Well, there's a lack of hunger and thirst for righteousness that I need to, that's the focus. And that is repentance. So it's not, Mm. I need to, I need to read more. I need to be convicted of my sins more and repent so that I might become more just, that I might um, become more like Christ who tells us to hunger and thirst for this righteousness. Yeah. And to get there through the Holy Spirit's gift of knowledge, because knowledge is the gift of the Holy Spirit that, that is tied to to hope because uh, by the gift of knowledge, we see things in their proper worth, which is in their relation to God. And the gift of knowledge, it, it perfects the understanding enlightened by faith to judge the things of this world and to see the justice that's in them. So by the fruit of the gift of knowledge, we, we prize the friendship of God beyond all else. And we put first things first. And yeah, so- and we need the Holy Spirit's help. And, and to give a concrete situation in our school community, let's say um, there's there's a question of ordering of the school in some way. So like there's a there's a calling to task of the prudence involved of a situation, right? Well, the invitation by Christ in that moment is to be 
a just person first? Like that's the first question. Who is owed what? Mm-hmm. Where do I go with this this issue? Where do I go with this question that I want to raise? Who is owed it first? Is the teacher owed it? Is a student owed it? Is an administrative or office personnel? Um, where do I take this as a matter of justice? But once that question is answered, now I owe as justice in that situation to be a Christian. I need to be a Christian when I go talk to that person. So I need the Holy Spirit to inspire me. This is part mm. of being a Christian. If I'm not asking for the Holy Spirit to inspire my words, then it's I'm not a Christian walking into the room. So I need the Holy Spirit's help, and I need to, whatever that answer is going to be about what I'm going to say and do, it's going to be self-sacrificial charity. And so I think concretely, this is why justice is so important, is that it opens the door for the Holy Spirit and for charity to even happen in the first place. Mm, yeah, yeah. Out of justice, we we cling, we cling to the Lord. So that opens up to a poverty of spirit, which is the start of beatitude. Well, so this is Le Bon Vie. I'm loving this conversation about the good life. And I think to give justice to this topic, we need to do <laughs> a, a little longer it. form than normal. Because, yeah, I'm all for it. G- great, great. Here's where I'd like to turn. That justice, the virtue of justice, um, we can be resistant to it. One, because pejorative convert or the pejorative notion that a lot of us have about justice uh, as like, I'm going to do wrong, get the hammer down on me. Um, so we can have this negative idea about, about justice. But instead, instead, um, I would offer our listeners to, in a way, change their paradigm about justice. Rather, the virtue of justice, when it is ordered, is how to become more accountable and how to hold others more accountable. And so the pursuit of justice is a blessing. Well, Jesus promises those who hunger and thirst for justice, which hunger and thirst is pursuit language. Mm, Yes. You don't hunger for something you have. Right? Right. Now, so justice, I mean, the ultimate justice is God's kingdom where justice will reign and, and we want and hunger for that day. But on in this life, as we journey towards that, and as we build the kingdom by the work of the church, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. In other words, we recognize a lack of justice and we want to see it corrected. Um, and this is Christ himself, because the Beatitudes are always an invitation to live like him. Right. And his answer for the need for justice in the world is the sacrifice of his life on the cross for us, ascending into heaven, and then sending his Holy Spirit. And so entering into this life of salvation, this life of Christ, sacramentally and in our own interior, allows us to accomplish the justice the way God wants it accomplished. But as you bring up, this takes docility. Yes. So Christ did not go on the cross as his own idea. What did he say? He said, I only speak the words the Father gives me. I only do the things I see the Father doing. So Christ, in his person, models for us this docility that justice requires, because justice is always going to be an openness to God to do something in response to him. And if I'm not open, if I'm not docile, then there cannot be true justice in the world. You can't find true justice apart from docility. Agreed. Agreed. That, I love that. But it's a hard message. It's a hard message because, well, our, for many of us today, and maybe this has always been the case, but our emotional lives are a wreck. Yeah. That. You mean us like me and you are like most people? Most people. Okay. Because either way, it's, it's true. It's true. <laughs> I, I would put myself first among most people with regard to having kind of a disordered emotional life where um, I don't. I tend not to act on virtue until I'm hurt Mm -hmm. or until I feel hurt on behalf of another. And that's a problem. The problem has to do with a kind of narcissism that comes from sin. And what I mean by that is that when we sin, we choose ourselves to the exclusion of everything else. And so sin basically makes us unjust by nature. Yep. And and is unjust. It's inherently unjust. Yeah. 
just like whenever we, we cooperate with grace, there are cosmic consequences. When we cooperate with grace, the cosmos is elevated. Mm -hmm. But when we sin, the cosmos is degraded. And so in addition to sin being repugnant to our nature as human persons, it, it's also a corruption of the emotions to make them more narcissistic because we have made a choice um, of ourselves to the exclusion of everyone else. And guess what? Our emotions are going to follow that. And you won't have a just home or we won't have a just school if we are all in it for ourselves or what we think things ought to be. Because none of us are going to be that brilliant that we've got it all figured out, first of all. But secondly, we are all owing God, not each other over God. You know, we, yes. I owe God a lot more than I owe you. <laughs> well, and this <laughs> right? brings to light the whole notion of social justice and why, yes, to truly be Catholic requires that, that we evangelize and also that we, we minister to the poor, um, that the inequity in the world is meeked out or, or, better way to put it, I guess, is that when we recognize those in need, even if we don't um, feel mm -hmm. the emotion of obligation um, injustice, we can find out what we can do to serve those in need. And, and that, that's a huge part of, of the call of the Catholic Church. And it was a call that was lived out boldly in the time of the apostles, serving the poor. And I would say if if you want to see the church in America become stronger in faith, it needs to take more seriously its call for justice and for that ordered kind of social justice. But one of the things we see rampant in our modern culture today is a disordered sense of social justice. Absolutely. That people are willing in the name of social justice to violate the good of individuals which disorders that sense of justice, right? That they're willing to do good things for other people, even if it violates nature, even if it violates human dignity, mm -hmm. even if it violates God's command. And this is a great examination for our homes and for our school. Do we let this culture of social justice wokeism into our homes? Because when we say it's a movement. This is kind of an understatement. It's, I mean, I think when we look back in history at this moment to see the speed and veracity with which wokeism and social justice wokeism in particular has swept and influenced policies, politics, mm -hmm. public opinion, it's, it's, it's really remarkable. And so to imagine that we're not affected by it is ridiculous. So this is some, a conversation I have with our spouse and with our faculty and everybody else. You know, what, what is the nature of this movement and is it, is it, how is it impacting us? And as a matter of justice, to not be caught up in a movement that would distract us from the duties we already owe to our country, to our God, to our city, to our, like, we owe people and we owe society. This is one of the problems with social justice wokeism is that there's this false premise in there that I owe the government and I owe my country nothing that I yeah. could, I could literally hate it and still be a just person. And this is ridiculous. Completely ridiculous, but it kind of goes back to how sin corrupts our emotional response to injustice. Mm -hmm. It corrupts it and, and makes it be the tail that wags the dog. And so I would also advise that, we can have a tendency to see the disorder in, in the social justice movement, if you want to call it that, and react against it while forgetting that, wait, social justice is important. Mm -hmm. It is important. It's necessary. Um, the, the thing about the common good and pursuing the common good is that our individual good participates in it. And so there's this both and that has to come that, that, the goods of the individual and the common good of the community are in harmony, whereby the individual serves the common and the common serves the individual. That is justice. That is a just society. And that, that's a just home. And so kind of turning 
our attention more to practical advice on, on parenting, the fourth commandment is king. Mm-hmm. And the fourth commandment, as I tell my children, it's a gift for you and it's a gift for me. Because if you're going to owe me honor and respect, then I must treat you honorably and respectfully, which means giving you chores, which means having a time to turn off the TV, which means um, having a bedtime, having a schedule for the day, which means rules. Yes. And the benefit of this kind of life, this life that's ordered by justice with parents and children, is that God has promised blessings because of it, and there's grace within our family to do it. So the sacrament of marriage includes within it the grace to order our homes justly and the grace to parent well, right? So none of us have been asked by God to do something we can't do. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, it takes a community to raise children, so it's not just like God puts you in a little island in your family. Good luck. But, um, you know, this, this commandment of honor your father and your mother if we're not insistent upon that with our children, if they're going to disrespect us openly and dishonor us openly, we can't be satisfied with sending them out into the world when they're 18 with this. Like this is a priority right. number one in home. Well, and, how, do you, how do you think so many people in our culture are, are able to completely disrespect the nation and to disrespect um, the communities that made them the people they are? Exactly. Probably the parent figures. The parent figures. And I, I would... I would be willing to bet, maybe not money, one of my lesser fountain pens, I'd be willing to bet one of those, (laughs) that it was a lack of living the fourth commandment in the home. And at school, we strive to hold our students accountable to this and respecting teachers, respecting office workers. And I think we're all on board with that. Well, wouldn't the same be true at home? Like if we can can recognize that teachers and, and office personnel administration need respect from students... Obviously, the parental respect is even more sacred and more institutionalized and more promised by God to reward blessings. So, And primary in educating children. Yes. That educates them more than the respect they give to their teacher. Um, yes. And that's to say, you know, to encourage parents right now who may be feeling like, you know, I don't demand justice enough for my kids. Um, know that it's worth pursuing. This pursuit of justice in that area, it's worth your time and attention. And for those that feel like you've got it, pretty down pack. Well, great. You could deepen it, but also why don't you help other folks that may not feel that way? Yes. Yes. And justice leads to fortitude. It leads to courage. Mm-hmm. Um, so having that courage to either live it out more deeply in the home, if that's what's called for, and also to to share it with others. Because it can be difficult to have conversations with other families about difficult things, you know? Absolutely. Well, let's, let's give this a concrete example because I think it would help flesh it out a bit. So let's, let's say like, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, sir. Right. Right. Okay. At school, we could expect this of students. We could, we could be really diligent about it too, if we wanted. Right. Like, so anytime we ever heard a student say anything that didn't include ma'am or sir in it, we can be there with a demerit and we can offer expulsion. We can't, but that is not going to be as effective in teaching as in the home, that expectation is present and enforced. Because if it was in the home present and enforced, then it would naturally be on campus without any need for the teachers to do anything. Right. Well, let me take a moment to give my argument in defense of yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Because Yes, yes sir, you can. Thank you, deacon. <laughs> you don't get a sir, you get a deacon. Oh, wow. Well, you get a lerd. Laird. Laird. Sorry. Pronounce it justly. <laughs> uh, I've heard from others that, oh, man, yes, sir. No, sir. That's not a big deal. That's just a Southern thing. Well, to that, I would say we're, we're a Catholic classical school. And one of the principles of education is paideia, this notion of forming great citizens that are particular to a place and time. So, yes, sir. No, sir. It's part of our culture. Mm-hmm. And it's worth preserving. Here's why. And this is what I tell students when I demand yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am in the classroom. Well, just yes, sir, no, sir. None of the ma'ams. <laughs> yeah, um, not in your room. Not in my room. No. But I, I, 
I invite students into this perspective. I'm your God-given authority. That authority is meant to be a blessing to you. And your docility to that authority is a blessing to me. And one of the ways to remind ourselves that my authority is a gift, a gift for you, is yes, sir, no, sir. And when I hear you say that, trust that that's a reminder to me to be that blessing, to use my authority and justice. And so my argument for yes, sir, no, sir, is it is a reminder for all of us to be more just, to respect one another. That two-way street, justice is the two-way street, becoming more accountable and holding others more accountable. Was well, Lebon V, our JPG podcast, Deacon Adam Conk, Mr. Calabarado. We're in the uh, we're in overtime here on uh, prudence, but I mean justice. But I think it's prudent to do so. Um, but we do have a great quote, Mr. Alvarado, that you found from our our patron, John Paul the Great. Hit us with that. All right. So this is part of his message for the celebration of the World Day of Peace on January first, two thousand and two. Pope Saint John Paul the Great says, True peace, therefore, is the fruit of justice, that moral virtue and legal guarantee, which ensures full respect for rights and responsibilities, and the just distribution of benefits and burdens. But because human justice is always fragile and imperfect, subject as it is to the limitations and egoism of individuals and groups, it must include, and as it were, be completed by the forgiveness which heals and rebuilds troubled human relations from their foundations. I mean, what a beautiful summary of of justice from that vision, which, again, John Paul II, his view of the human person is just so paramount to understand where he's coming from. But Mm -hmm. I mean, to see this personal engagement with justice, keeping in mind that we are persons who are imperfect, who are not going to do everything perfectly. And the element of forgiveness and mercy within that dynamic of relationship. I know you've experienced it like I have when I have been unjust to someone else, their forgiveness of me is able to reconcile the relationship. Even though I couldn't, I couldn't go back and be just like I did something I can't undo. Yeah. I owe something I can't pay now. There's literally nothing I can do, but I am sorry. There's a, when mercy and forgiveness happens, there's a, there's a justice that comes that could not come otherwise than through forgiveness. I've had very similar experiences of, of the horror that I can't undo something. And that it might cost me my relationship with this person. And then when forgiveness comes, the peace, the true peace. And I think Pope St. John Paul the Great here is um, highlighting one of the things that corrupts justice, which is hurt, Mm. which is pain, the pain we feel. Um, when we are hurt and when others are hurt. But the just person must be benevolent, which means they must have good will for others. And as Christ teaches us, that good will, if it's just to our friends, if it's just to those whom we like, well, what grace is there in that? What what that's not praiseworthy. That benevolence belongs to all. It's not true justice. It's not true justice. I mean, this is imitation of Christ who was hurt, um, obviously on the cross in his passion, but throughout his life there was sin towards him. But in every moment of his life on earth, he was attentive in his humanity and divinity to the justice owed to people in front of him and around him. Mm-hmm. And this commitment to that universal justice that is manifested by a particular person who's owed things over what I'm owed is essentially Christian. And if I can't live my life that way, that I'm more worried about what's owed to you 
than what's owed to me. And I'm more worried about what's owed to everybody than I am what's owed to me. We simply cannot live the Christian life. St. Paul says this. He says, be anxious about the other before your own needs, the needs of the others before you. And the needs that are paramount are needs of justice, right? What is owed to people is always the first thing that I need to be focused on before what's owed to me. This egoism that John Paul II is talking about is in direct opposition to justice and particularly the Christian life. Yeah, because here, here's the thing. Being more attentive to others is prudent. Yes, because if I'm not, I will implode. Even when I'm hurt, and this is the thing, it seems just that when someone hurts you, it's okay for you to implode. That's what the world will say. You got hurt. So now implode, and we're all going to be okay with it. Right. You have a license to... Be selfish, self-centered. Yeah. To only think about you in this situation. Because someone hurt you. But this is not the case. We don't have that freedom. We don't have that license. And... In Christ, we don't have that vocation. Christ says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That's not Christianity 2.0. That's the gospel. Right. That's benevolence. <clears throat> and in, 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 our, in marriage, man, a lack of benevolence and the hurt that might accumulate when there isn't prudence, which demands conversation, communication, reconciliation, Oof, man, that can destroy a marriage quickly. It just can. Just can. It just can. <laughs> um, but I, I guess I want to, as, as we try to wrap this very long episode up, um, <laughs> to, uh, to encourage people that becoming more attentive to justice um, can be overwhelming if it's not done in the hierarchy of virtues. Because for you to do something good for someone else when it's imprudent is not just. Mm. Only prudent acts can be just. And that, that's an important thing because we can, we can feel overwhelmed that there's so much pain and suffering and need in the world. And I'm so blessed and I'm not doing enough. I, I got to do more. I got to do more. There can be this anxiety and this compulsion to pursue justice in opposition to prudence. Well, and the Heavenly Father is a great icon of this because as he looks on the history of all humanity, he sees the injustice. He sees the hunger, the thirst, the, the murder, the war, all of it. He sees all of it. But in his prudence, he sets out the plan of salvation in Jesus Christ. Because his prudence would say, it is better and more fitting to let the wheat and the reed, the wheat and the weeds grow together until harvest time, and that my son will sow the kingdom by his life, death, and resurrection, so that those will be drawn into heaven and live a life with me forever by their own free will. I'm not going to disrupt free will, I'm going to let free will reign, but he has a plan in place for the culmination of justice at the end of time. Right. That's prudent. You see, he's, his ordering is prudent before it's there's this idea of getting rid of all the injustice in the world. Why didn't God just do it immediately after Adam and Eve? Why didn't he just take care of it? It would have been imprudent or less fitting in a certain way. In other words, the ordering of things inspired the justice. Right. And that that's an important point that when we live out the cardinal virtues, the the moral virtues of 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 prudence, justice, fortitude and temperance, for these to be inspired by faith, hope, and love, we have to recognize that they play their role in the context of providence, that mm -hmm. that there's a purpose and an order beyond our comprehension, which, which is why, you know, in the classical view of man, which St. Thomas espouses, virtue culminates in gift of the spirit, which turns virtue into beatitude. And and that that's kind of an ordering of things that, that can allow us to have earnestness in pursuing virtue, but peace, that grace is paramount, the radical necessity of grace. And, and a quick example of what I mean by that is some people look at the fact that Christ didn't heal everyone mm -hmm. as unjust. Right. Look how unjust he is. 
No. It's simply that his purpose is not to physically heal everyone. That is not the greatest order. That is not providence. But his physical healing of some is part of his mission on earth. It's a part of it. It participates in this greater whole. And so if you feel overwhelmed in pursuit of justice, have peace. Because by prudence, you will order, order yourself. There will be peace from that. And there can be no justice outside of prudence. Well, this has been a great conversation. It has. It's it's just been awesome. And I want to thank you for that, Mr. Alvarado. Even though it was just us. Just the two of us. We can make... Anyway. Well, thanks for joining us for Le Bon V. We will have another episode following next week on our next moral virtue, which is courage, fortitude, bravery. Goes by many names. We're going to talk about it all next week. Sounds good. Until then, live the good life, folks. The just life. Just do it. Just do it. Vive le bon vie.